Thank you. Good morning from me as well. It's good to be with you. Let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace towards us that adopts us into your family. Help us to see today the beauty of your family and long to be part of it. For Jesus' sake, amen. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. For those of you in the know, they're the words spoken in the first of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that's called the Fellowship of the Ring. And the purpose that all the main characters share orientates the mission around the ring. And it unites them together in fellowship through the shared meaning and purpose of that. Well, this morning we're looking at what God's Word says about fellowship. As Jeremy's mentioned, we're continuing on in our series, What on Earth Are We Here For? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? We've uh, looked at worship already the other week uh, with John preaching, learning that we're formed for God's pleasure and we're designed to worship him. He's worthy of our worship because of who he is and what he's done. Last week from David Eastwood, we heard about mission, that God has a specific mission for each of us and for us as a fellowship here at St. Mary's. And today we're thinking about how we're formed, designed for God's family, for fellowship. Well, a quick dictionary search defines fellowship in two ways. Firstly, as a group of people with the same purpose, and secondly, as a friendly feeling between people who share interest as a group. You can see how the two things work together. And on that basis, there's lots of examples of fellowship you might see in the world. But fellowship that comes through the gospel is far deeper. Deeper both in its purpose and in the bonds between members of the fellowship. Now, in the book, if you ordered one on which this series is based, the author Rick Warren draws attention to this reality. He talks about fellowship being something where together we believe, belong, and are baptized, where we can live authentic life together, where mistakes are rubbed out and not rubbed in, and where we create real community. And these aren't just wonderful aspirations, but the clear biblical vision for fellowship that can be, and in many ways is, a reality in the church. And what our passage today will help us do, to do is see how we can get there. And we're going to look at this theme of fellowship through the lens of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now you can read about how Paul began his relationship with the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city of the ancient world. It was the center of worship for many of the Greek and Roman gods of that time. And Paul visited Ephesus and had a very fruitful missionary time there. For about two years or so, he ministered in Ephesus. And during that time, many people became part of God's family. They began to follow Jesus. Well, fast forward some years later, and Paul's been imprisoned by the Romans, and he writes this letter to them. And it sort of divides into two halves. And our passage today nicely includes both the end of the first half, which finishes in chapter 3, and the start of the second half, which begins in chapter 4. 
When I said start of the second half, I think some of you perked up there, which is good to see. <laughs> Different kind of half. Well, in the first half of the letter, Paul is basically digging into the essential message of the gospel in how all history reaches its climax in Jesus and in this creation of this wonderful, globally diverse family, this family of people who follow him. And then the second half of the letter is linked by the first verse of chapter 4. Now, in our passage as printed on your orders of service, we see specifically the word then, as a prisoner of the Lord, then. But in some translations, it's translated as, as therefore. The point is it's linking back to everything that's been said, therefore, on that basis. And what then Paul does is he pivots to apply the gospel he's been unpacking in the first half to the lives of the believers in Ephesus. And of course, by extension to us as part of God's family here today. Well, that's a quick summary. So let's dive in and have a look at this now. The first thing I want us to see is that fellowship is a family with a father. That's the first point. It's there in verses 14 and 15. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And Paul's able to say this because of what he's already said in the letter. From eternity, God the Father planned to choose and bless this family of people with the covenant of his grace. Made up of people like you and I, here today who follow Jesus. But also going right back to Abraham in the Old Testament. And all the way through that line we see People putting their faith in Christ and joining God's family. You see, despite all our wrong, despite our sin, which we confessed earlier, wonderfully, God adopts us into his great family by his grace as our Father. Now, some of us may sadly not have had good relationships with our earthly fathers, if any relationship at all, in fact. But the great news Paul has is that every follower of Jesus has God as their father, as their perfect, eternal father. And just as we see here, Paul points to God's model for human families to be together under a father. God is the father of the church family, the fellowship of believers that lives and works together. That's our identity as God's people in fellowship. We are a fellowship and we're in fellowship. We're a family of imperfect people with a perfect God. And this has always been God's great plan, to build this wonderful family of his own through his son Jesus with God as our father. Now, in the Lord of the Rings, we encounter a character called Gollum, who's rejected being part of any fellowship family, and he's sort of turned in on himself. He's pursuing his own aims, and they've rotted him through and destroyed him. We're designed to be part of a family, God's family. And in the same uh, book, The Lord of the Rings, we see the fellowship of the hobbits coming through. They're united together in purpose, and they have that family fellowship. But Gollum rejects it. And we see the consequences on both sides. 
So the way that looks for us here at St. Mary's is that we shouldn't just be turning up to church, thinking about ourselves as individuals, fundamentally what we're getting out of it. But rather, as we come in thinking, how wonderful it is, here I am with my family. The family I'm part of and will be part of forever. And you see, God works out this universal, eternal truth of this family he's building through the local church. Now, maybe you feel a little bit on the outside of things and would like to be part of this amazing family. You'd like to know that unity. Well, if that's you, come and join the family. Come to Jesus. Come to God as Father. Something you could even do today. But for those of us who are already in the family, it's important to remember that that is our status. We are family members, even if we don't always feel it. And of course, there will be those of us who do very much feel part of the family, and we enjoy expressing that together. But let's also be mindful to look out for those who are on the fringes, to draw them in as well. Coffee time after the service is a great opportunity to do just that. Fellowship is a family with a father, with God as father. But secondly, fellowship has a grasping heart. When we think of grasping, perhaps we have images of characters like Ebenezer Scrooge from Dickens' Christmas Carol or Silas Marner. And there is a negative aspect to grasping. But here we see Paul saying that as a fellowship, we should positively grasp after something. We should grasp after the love of Christ. That's what we read in verse 18. But to do that, we need to make sure that we're being strengthened in our hearts through faith. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because if we haven't got a heart that's growing in faith, then we won't see or treasure the value of Christ to grasp after him and his love. He will seem just like another thing competing in the week with everything else in our diaries. But Paul's longing and prayer in verse 16 is that God, our wonderful Father, will strengthen us to be able to grasp that love. That it will deepen within our hearts that Jesus and our faith in him will take deep roots within. What's important to remember is he's speaking about that in the context of fellowship because that happens as we come together each Sunday That's what we're doing as a fellowship. We come here together to hear God's word preached, to pray together, to confess our sins together, to receive God's forgiveness together, to sing worship songs together. And as we do that together, Jesus will dwell deeper and deeper in our hearts through faith and will enable us to pursue and grasp after the depth of his love for us as a fellowship. And remember that where Paul here is speaking about you, he's not referring to individuals. He's referring and speaking to the Ephesian church, to a fellowship. And by extension to us today as a fellowship here at St. Mary's. This is something he wants to see done together as a church family. Think of the image of a young child who can see a sweet treat on the countertop in the kitchen, but they just can't quite reach it. They can see how wonderful it is, how exciting it is. They want it. They're grasping out for it, reaching for it. That's how we're to be as a fellowship. As we meet together each week and have our faith 
deepens within, our hearts are to grasp after a growing understanding of the love of God towards us in Christ. We grasp together. I thought this was a nice image to help us understand that. See how much easier it is together to know that love, to rest in that love, to be filled by that love to the measure of all the fullness of God together as a fellowship. Fellowship has a grasping heart. But fellowship has a power within. It has a power within as well. And that comes through very strongly from Paul in verse 18 and 20. Paul longs that on the foundation of the gospel, the church will have power to know more and more deeply the love of God and to be filled with the fullness of God. And Paul then goes further, explaining that God's power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine is actually according to his power at work within us. What this means is that God does, as Paul says, more than we can ask or imagine through the fellowship family, which is the church. It's not that it's a a power within us in a sort of Star Wars meets self-help guru type of way, but rather that God gives us his power by his spirit. We see this in verse 16 where Paul prays that God may strengthen the believers with power through his spirit and goes on in verse 17 and then 18, praying that the people of God will have power to grasp the greatness of the love of God. We need to pray for God's power to help us grasp his love towards us in Jesus. If you were to get on an old steam engine and sit there in the carriage, maybe there's some enthusiasts here today, to sit there with some friends, it might seem pleasant, but the train wouldn't go anywhere. No matter how much will or plans or purpose you felt you had, if there was no coal in the engine. Only with coal within can the steam engine then turn the wheels to make the train go anywhere. And in the same way, we can come to church every Sunday, just like those people getting on that train. But if we're not seeking the power of the Spirit to be at work within us, and to fill us, we'll be ultimately powerless to do any real work for God. We may be at church, but like those passengers sitting on the train, without that coal, without that power within, we're ultimately going nowhere. So what we need to do is seek the power of God's Spirit to be at work within us. And by us, I mean as a fellowship here at St. Mary's. And that's how we're going to see God doing immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. As a fellowship, we have power within by God's Spirit. And finally, fellowship has a unity of grace. This is where we move into that second half of Ephesians where Paul begins to apply to the fellowship of the believers in Ephesus, the very gospel he's been unpacking in the first half. And it could be summed up in verse 3, really. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we see this unity coming through very strongly in verse 4, where Paul writes about these different ones. One body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. All these ones unite us together as a fellowship and flow from the grace 
we've been given in Christ, which he touches on in verse 7. You see, worldly fellowship is held together by a common interest. I, I mentioned that earlier with the definition. It could be a shared love of cars or films, bird watching, rambling through the countryside, almost anything. But that's where the unity ends. However, the unity of the fellowship of God's family could not be any deeper. We are united to God as one in body and spirit. All that we are as believers is united together as a fellowship under God. For those of you who may remember, there was a time not so long ago when the English football team was full of world-class stars. However, since many of them have retired, there's been some very revealing interviews. One particular one with Rio Ferdinand, who was a defender in that team, spoke of how so often when the players all came together, supposedly under the United England banner, for training camps before the World Cup or the European Championships, so often the players would just stay in their little club groups. They maintained the unity with their club members within the national, within the national side, but they didn't form a deep unity together. And he went on to explain in the interview that he felt that the lack of unity they had at a deep level was largely the reason for the underperformance of a team that on paper should have done so much better. In contrast, Gareth Southgate team of recent years, packed as it seems with less world-class players, has operated very well as a united group and, you might say, outperformed expectations. Now, I give that illustration just to help us understand the importance of unity. And grace is so key to the unity we have as a fellowship. Grace is what maintains the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that's because grace crushes the kind of pride that creates the divisions that were seen in that team. Because as we receive grace, by nature as we do, we're admitting that we need it. That we are sinful and need God's power to restore us. Grace is a wonderfully honest statement about God's righteous anger at our sin, but also about his love towards us. It gives us the opposite of what we deserve. And it humbles us and forms the foundation for those united relationships, that unity in the fellowship. But being practical, Paul recognises it won't be easy. And so for that reason, in verse 3, he challenges everyone in the fellowship to make every effort. And that will look like different things for different people. It might involve looking deep within and asking ourselves honestly whether we perhaps only believe but don't really want to belong whether we can unite over the, the creed, but don't want to unite with God's people. We all belong to something. What do you belong to today? Because as we believe in Christ, we automatically belong to God's family. So we need to express the identity we already have as God's people. And part of that involves, in different ways, investing and committing to that. Because otherwise, we can't do the very things that excite Paul so much throughout his letter. And as Jesus also said, if we love him, then we must also love his people. 
So that could involve going out of your way to speak to that person who's new that you don't know, or maybe someone you do know but find a bit difficult. It could be volunteering for a role within the church where you see a need. It could be sacrificing different service styles or preferences for the sake of others. Ultimately, making every effort to keep that unity looks like sacrifice and service for the sake of God's people. It's a living out of the identity we have and a working out of this worthy calling Paul says we've received. We need to be, as he says in verse 2, humble, gentle, patient, and bear with one another in love. We see outside in the world a culture where there's increasingly this standard set, but no grace. People get cancelled. But no, within the fellowship of God's family, we bear with one another in love, knowing before God that his grace speaks of our own imperfections as much as those we see in others. So when we find ourselves sometimes being impatient and being swiftly critical, we need to remember the grace of God first given to us. We need to remember the worthy calling we've received and the charge Paul makes in verse 2. Because if we don't do verse 2, we certainly won't be able to do verse 3. You see, godliness, aspiring and going after living the way God wants us to as his people. It serves and only strengthens the unity that we already have under him. It strengthens the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace on that foundation of grace given to us in Christ. And that's what makes a Christian fellowship so wonderful. But given our nature to turn in on ourselves, we need to be making every effort, as Paul says, And we need to remember that we are a family, a fellowship with God as our Father. And together, we grasp after the love of Jesus by the power of God's Spirit, and we're united together by the grace of God as we live for his glory, both now and into all eternity. Amen.